suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 191 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. Welcome aboard. If you're new to the podcast, there's normally a bunch of us sitting around talking about news and politics and events of the world. We often discuss religion, ethics, simple things like the meaning of life even we come across. But uh, on this occasion, we've got a special episode where we're going to be talking about voluntary-assisted dying legislation and the possibility of that being introduced into Queensland. So there's a cast of thousands in the room with me. And <laughs> as per usual, Scott the Velvet Glove is here. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listeners. G'day, Paul. G'day, Woz. G'day, Craig. G'day, Phil. Yeah, g'day. <laughs> You've spoiled all my introductions. <laughs> uh, importantly with us is Phil Brown, who is a committee member of Dying with Dignity Queensland. Welcome aboard, Phil. Thank you for having me. And also is um, Deep Throat himself, uh, Dr. Craig Gladsby, um, here in his capacity as an ordinary member of Dying with Dignity Queensland. Welcome aboard again, Craig. Thank you, Trevor. Welcome. Listeners. And, uh, of course, the 12th man's here and also was the beer sponsor, but I've run out of microphones. (laughs) 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 Uh, But they've obviously got a keen interest and are happy to uh, uh, sort of sit in and might chip in at the end with something as well. So, anyway, dear listener, we're going to go through uh, voluntary-assisted dying legislation, what's been happening around Australia, what are the key issues that you need to know about and... Dear listener, during this podcast, myself or other members of the panel might make some comments about religion and we might be a little bit disparaging about religious groups, but uh, Phil doesn't make those comments and certainly Dying with Dignity Queensland would not um, or should not be associated with those comments. So if we make some disparaging comments about religion, uh, associate those with uh, the the person making them and not with Dying with Dignity Queensland and... uh, they're just giving us information about the proposals and there we go. Bear that in mind as you're listening to the podcast. Phil, why don't you start with um, who you are, what do you do, what's your role with um, Dying with Dignity? All right. I'm a committee member of Dying with Dignity Queensland. I also happen to be the Harvey Bay coordinator. I live um, part-time in Harvey Bay as well. Uh, I like... The majority of the committee, we've got an eight-person committee, I was drawn to um, this issue because of my uh, background as a health professional. I've been a registered nurse for 36 years. Um, I've done many, many years working in medical wards, which is probably the area in hospitals where the majority of people will die. Um, I've also done seven years in a large hospice. Uh, we sat down, the, the committee members, us because of the eight committee members, five of us are actually um, either currently practising or retired uh, doctors and registered or registered nurses. And we worked out that between all of us, we had 218 years 
frontline um, health care experience and many of us had actually worked in areas relating to this issue. Um, between us, we'd, we had actually 37 years of palliative care experience. We had a doctor who'd been training junior doctors, about 100 junior doctors in end-of-life care and set, uh, also set up a Brisbane um, a palliative care service. And we estimated that between all of us over those third, uh, 218 years, we'd been involved in um, frontline hands-on care to approximately 7,600 people in their end-of-life stages leading up to their death. Like, those figures are quite astounding. But um, it's because of what we've seen and, you know, believing that our former and also future patients deserve better that we've got involved on the Committee of um, Dying with Dignity Queensland and said, yes, we're going to lobby and agitate and get out there and, you know, talk to the MPs and say, look, you know, we need to get this issue addressed. So, so the committee was already up, like Dying with Dignity was going and you joined or you weren't uh, yeah, an inaugural member the, at all, right? Oh, no, no, no. The, right. the, the Dying with Dignity Queensland, I'm, I'm not sure how many years it's been going, but it's a long time. Um, it's it's by no means a new organisation. I've I'm in my second year on the committee now, and I'd been a a a, um, a member for oh, some time prior to that. Yeah. Um, a member, you know, as as, long, as well as um, Dr. Craig here. Mm. So so, so. Um, and the. Uh, it's got some money from the Clem Jones Foundation. We is that right? um, well, that's not. Exactly correct. Um, the Clem Jones um, uh, group is um, an organisation set up by um, oh, I've got a mental black. I can't think of the name. What's the, oh, the, the like the, to to give and there's a name for it. I can't a philanthropist. Think. Yes, a philanthropological, if that's the right word. Okay. Fi- um, philanthropic. Philanthropic. Yes, mm. thank you. <laughs> a philanthropic organisation set up uh, from the estate of the late um, Brisbane Lord Mayor Clem Jones. Mm. His wife Sylvia apparently had a horrific death, and he he obviously witnessed and had to suffer th- that. You know, suffer seeing or see his wife suffer through that, and he said, "No, look, this just isn't right." So, uh, when he died, his estate directed that the Clem Jones Group be set up, and um, they advocate on a range of issues. I know they're into um, a lot of medical research, um, a lot of sporting areas. Apparently, yeah. that was a, a passion of um, Clem's, yeah. and uh, also lobbying and assisting um, with funding uh, to uh, groups like ours all around the country because um, each state and territory has its uh, its own equivalent of um, Dying with Dignity group. Right. Yep. Yeah, we yep. just happen to be the Queensland okay. ones. So you're getting some financial and, assistance of some sort um, from them or, or, it's, or you... It's more in-kind support for yep. us at this stage. Right. Um, they do fund... Uh, polls, for example, which mm. are quite expensive, mm. um, but they, uh, the Clem Jones Group, they 
provide support to all the other groups. Like Victoria's, yep. Victoria and WA have gone through the parliamentary inquiry process that Queensland is just beginning. Mm. Um, and Victoria's gone one step further <coughs> in that they've had a bill introduced into the Victorian State Parliament, which uh, the, the Victorians... Um, Voluntary Assisted Dying 2017 Bill, which was passed and is now law in Victoria. Uh, there was an 18-month introduction period for that law to take effect. So as, as of the 19th of June, Victorians will be able to assist, uh, sorry, access Voluntary Assisted Dying, provided they meet the eligibility criteria and safeguards, which are quite strict. Mm. Um so Clem Jones did help them. There's also a federal group as well called Go Gentle mm-hmm. and that's headed by Andrew Denton. A lot of people will be aware of his involvement in the issue of voluntary assisted dying. Mm-hmm. So there's um, whichever state, you know, that the, the, the lobbying is happening in, there are three groups that are involved. There's the Clem Jones group, um, Go Gentle and the state or territory Dying with Dignity group. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we better do a little bit of definition work here. So in the notes that you kindly gave us, Phil, you've got that um, voluntary assisted dying used to be called voluntary euthanasia. Correct. And I'll just yeah. read from it here. Uh, voluntary assisted dying occurs when a person who is experiencing grievous and uh, irremediable, irremediable. irremediable suffering related to an advanced and progressive terminal, chronic or neurodegenerative condition legally accesses medical assistance to end their life. So let's go back through that. Experiencing those things uh, gets legally accesses medical assistance to end their life. This assistance can be in the form of a doctor prescribing a medication that the person self-administers or if the person is incapable of self-administering, a doctor may administer the medication to the person. So we're basically talking about people having grievous suffering that can't be fixed related to advanced and progressive terminal chronic or neurodegenerative condition. What's neurodegenerative, Craig? Uh, Neurodegenerative is um, a whole group of conditions um, which affect the nervous system. The the main part of the nervous system, of course, is the brain. So we have um, um, conditions such as... um, um, even Parkinson's can be, is a neurodegenerative condition, and there's various degenerative. And MS here was just showing me MS, so yeah, multiple sclerosis. So, um, um, and uh, the other one that's um, uh, very commonly you hear about in the news is motor degenerative, uh, motor neurone disease too, mm. which um, um, you see. And um, and the one of the iconic figures that's been around while well, he died last year I think it was, is Stephen Hawking. So people um, immediately think of someone like him when they think of neurodegenerative disease. So yep. that's just the brief out. So we're talking about people with those conditions um, being able to either have a doctor um, administer something or themselves self-administer something mm. to end Correct. their lives, uh, a voluntary yeah. assisted dying. So now you mentioned that um, Victoria's obviously passed legislation and they had an inquiry that led up to that. And Western Australia has not passed anything, but they've had their inquiry. Correct. So you've got lots of valuable information already from those two inquiries. And we're going to be referring to the Victorian inquiry and the the Western Australian one through these notes as we go through. We're very lucky in that um, 
Queensland's parliamentary inquiry that the the parliamentary health committee is currently conducting, um, that we are the third uh, jurisdiction in Australia to go through this process of a parliamentary inquiry, specifically addressing the issue of should voluntary assisted dying be legalised. So Queensland has got a lot of uh, really valuable reports and data and information from both WA and Victoria to help guide the process and the decision-making in Queensland about what is the right um, road for uh, Queensland to follow. Yep. Um, So some of the key findings from those two reports so far would be, uh, one, confirmation uh, from palliative care experts that palliative care cannot relieve suffering in all cases. And two, confirmation from state coroners of approximately one suicide weekly in each state of a person with a terminal irreversible health condition. And the WA coroner's office thought that this accounted for 13.9% of suicides Mm. in Western Australia. Mm. And both of those inquiries recommended uh, voluntary assisted dying be legalised. So the, the two key things from the report so far is palliative care can't relieve suffering in all cases and there's a lot of suicide going on um, Mm -hmm. because there are no options. Yeah, and, you know, if voluntary assisted dying were a legal option, like not everyone who's going to be, you know, eligible for it will take it, but perhaps some of those people who end up taking their lives may have a better, safer, kinder option. Because, you know, don't forget a lot of those, um, well, in fact, a lot of people probably aren't aware until you read things like the the reports from the Victorian WA coroners, which were quite horrific reading actually, saying about um, people with these progressive um, uh, deteriorating conditions that were leading to their death, um, they were Take, they were often taking their lives far earlier than they needed to because they were afraid that they would get to a stage where they wouldn't have the physical capacity to do that. Mm. And they were often taking their lives by really horrific, violent means, you know, like shooting their brains out mm. um, and hangings and, you know, all, the, all these avenues that there's no guarantee they're going to succeed and they could even end up in a far worse situation plus you know, we've got the whole consideration that a lot of these people are in um, are asking their family members and friends for assistance, you know, stockpiling medications, for example, you know, obtaining means for, for them to end their lives. Um, so those, um, you know, friends and family of the person who wants to end their life you know, they can be up on charges of aiding a bet and abetting a suicide, mm. you know, so they can end up in jail, mm. you know, just out of feeling desperate, out of wanting to um, help their loved one and to relieve their suffering. Yep. So just yeah. getting back to palliative care, I guess that's one of the arguments that you will hear from the other side would be, well, instead of introducing voluntary assisted dying laws, we should be spending more on palliative care and making sure people um, don't suffer. If we just spend more money mm. and uh, put more, more effort into it, then um, then 
that's what we should be doing. But the evidence is that there are just some people for whom, and it seems here from the WA report was 2 to 5% of people, Yeah, the best medicine in the world can't do the trick, Craig? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So I think those figures are based on the best possible outcomes from palliative um, care. And as in all systems in the world, and medicine's no different, uh, best practice sometimes can't be achieved. And I think there's also a bit of a stark difference between the outcomes in palliative care that occur in big cities and in hospitals and also palliative care that occurs in communities. So in communities, we don't see the, the as good outcomes as we do in big cities. So there's already a discrepancy in the mm-hmm. numbers that um, don't get adequate um, relief of their suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can I, can I just add to that? Yep. Um, Dying with Dignity Queensland, we absolutely believe there is a very valid place for palliative care. Um, the parliamentary in, in, inquiries in Victoria and WA identified a deficiency in palliative care services and we suspect that's the case in Queensland too. So we, we totally support um, expanding palliative care. But, you know, when, when you have... Um, you know, evidence from those two reports saying, um, you know, for, I'll, I'll just read a direct quote from the WA report. Too many Western Australians experience profound suffering as they die, in part due to inequitable access to palliative care. However, in the committee's view, even with access to the best quality palliative care, not all suffering can be alleviated. And as we said, you know, there was a, um, you know, evidence from that um, report of, Two to five percent being consistent with the evidence. Two, two to five percent failure rate of palliative care, and you know, as you said, Dr. Craig, it could even be higher. And and you know, having worked in a hospice myself, I've certainly seen that failure rate. Um, so, so where does terminal sedation? Well, what is it, and where does that is that classified as palliative care? What, what, what? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, terminal sedation is where um, the level of the person's suffering towards the the very end of their life is getting to such a point that um, medication that helps with that suffering, relieves those symptoms, won't work anymore. And so sedation, increasing sedation is, um, is given to, to achieve those, that relief of symptoms. But, of course, the, the, the trade-off is that the person loses consciousness. Yep. Uh, and uh, that's what, yeah. So, so you're basically cranking up the drugs until because the person's in pain until they lose all consciousness. And then do you, do you stop then administering the drug and do they then regain consciousness and you then re-administer again? What, no, what happens there? I just My understanding is you keep them permanently sedated mm. until such time as the, the fact that they can't eat and drink takes over and the body just packs up. Yeah, you, you, that's correct. So with the – well, you could stop the terminal sedation, but um, you go have a, someone that comes out and they're in – yeah, an awful lot of strife yeah, in terms of their symptoms. symptoms. So yeah, the whole so. idea is increasing it, keeping the control of the symptoms till they come become into a coma, mm-hmm. and then they they die from starvation and lack of hydration. So, generally, from my hands-on experience, um, you know, terminal sedation, the person will die within hours to days, and. A factor that I've seen come into play there is the suppression of the the breathing um, to the point where that brings on the person's death. Uh, So the the drugs that they're on 
mean that they can't operate their lungs anymore. And they Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's really a kind of a backdoor VAD sort In, of method, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Um, you know, the, there have been reports and, um, you know, the uh, interstate um, report, I forget which state, um, specifically spoke about people who have observed, like family members who've observed someone dying as a result of um, terminal sedation and they've believed that they were given voluntary assisted dying. Mm. And really the, the only distinction, you know, it could be said that the only distinction between voluntary assisted dying and terminal sedation is that the death occurs generally quicker, like, you know, quite often within half an hour of um, the voluntary assisted dying medications being taken, whereas once terminal sedation is commenced, it's a a more long, drawn-out process. So, you know, many people would say that voluntary assisted dying is kinder because the the person who um, is eligible and chooses to access um, assisted dying could call their their friends and family around, you know, have a, a nice little, you know, private time where they all share their their final thoughts and, um, you know, how much they love each other and the good times they've had in their lives. And um, then the person take the medication surrounded by the people they love and, you know, they just go off to sleep and die within half an hour. Yeah. And the other thing about the terminal sedation is just the uncertainty f- for all of the medical professionals. It's a, a hazy legal area yeah, for the, them. Yeah. The, um, the interstate inquiries were, were actually quite scathing about some of the medico-legal issues surrounding um, terminal sedation. And the, there were three um, areas of major areas of concern. Uh, the first one was um, inadequate guidelines about the use of um, terminal sedation and uh, also the, the lack of documentation um, you know, and and uh, it was found that um, terminal sedation is not always being recorded in the patient's notes, which, you know, like it's a legal requirement that any medical um, procedure, you know, is is documented that it's being given. But there was evidence that that was not happening. Um, another issue is, um, you know, some it was identified that some staff, like health health staff that were responsible for um, administering and delivering the terminal sedation medications, they were um, uncertain of the the legalities of what they were doing. So Mm -hmm. because they were afraid that perhaps if they gave the dose that killed the person Mm -hmm. that they could be, um, you know, up on, they could be liable and up on criminal charges, they were withholding the medication and, you know, the, the symptoms were returning and the person was suffering even more. So, um, mm, yeah. yeah, you know, so that's another major issue. And um, the other legal issue, which is pretty major as well, not that, you know, someone suffering unnecessarily is, is not major, but, um, you know, any medical treatments of any form that are given, whether it's having an operation or, you know, starting a new medication or whatnot. You know, the the there's a legal requirement on the health practitioner to obtain consent for the person to um, 
that it's okay for them to administer that. And and don't forget, we're, we're talking about a treatment here that is ultimately going to end that person's life. Mm. And and quite often, you know, relatively soonish, like, you know, within a, a day or two often. Um, and it was found that there was evidence that um, or, or there was not clear evidence that legal um, consent was being obtained from either the patient or their family members. Mm. So that's a really dangerous area. You know, when, um, you know, a, a terminal sedation, a medical palliative care treatment, which will ultimately end in the person's death, is being delivered and there's nowhere in the person's medical records that it's even recorded that it's being given in the first place and that um, legal consent was obtained from the patient and or family to mm. administer it. So they're really dangerous they areas. Are. And, and you know, this is a, um, a, a current legally available f- form of um, treatment that comes under the palliative care heading. Mm. So, you know, there's really big legal Pati- issues about that. Particularly when you've got families that are dysfunctional and have broken up into camps where mm-hmm. some want heroic methods being undertaken to yeah. keep the person alive and others say, no, my loved one would have wanted to finish yeah. now and Good that would point. be, you know, it happens a lot. And yeah. That puts you know, a lot and, of pressure and on how medical do, people. You know, like if, if a case like that were to go to court, if there's nothing documented in the medical records, mm. how on earth do you know what the person really wanted? Whereas on the flip side of the coin, with what, what we're saying is with voluntary assisted dying, um, we are pushing for really um, watertight um, legislation with watertight safeguards and eligibility criteria. So... There is absolutely no room for any ambiguity or un- uncertainty or confusion about yep. is the person eligible and what did they want well, and did well, did or did they not consent to well, this? We'll get onto the specifics of what's mm. required, but before we do, just more general principles. Uh, we spoke about uh, suicide, so we'll just move on to religion. So I remember going to a talk at QUT where this academic from Canada was there and they were talking about the introduction of this legislation into Canada. And in the Q&A afterwards, I said, so who was against this in Canada? Um, it seems to me it was probably just the religious groups. And the lady said, well, initially there was some concern from palliative care groups, but ultimately it ended up just being the religious groups. And you've got a heading here of religion. And on this podcast, we are often talking about religion. Mm. So um, there will be opposition from religious groups. Oh, certainly. And and what do you say to that? Well, look, um, Dying with Dignity Queensland, we absolutely respect the right of everyone to um, hold and practice their their religion and for that to be respected in society. Uh, However, um, you know, there are other responsibilities of being a citizen in our society that, um, for example, you uphold the law of the land. And, um, you know, we are talking about, um, you know, an issue here, voluntary assisted dying, that could well become law uh, into the future in Queensland and and could well become the law of the land. Um, And if that happens well let me say when that happens because i believe it will happen it would 
you know, just when, we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, and hopefully all your listeners will be inspired to put pen and paper uh, together and send in a, an, an email um, or a postal letter to the current inquiry to um, say, yes, you know, we want the law changed. But um, just, just, just on, on religious, some of your key arguments from your notes are that, in fact, many people of faith believe uh, their God is a God of love and compassion who would not want mm. us to live our final days in intolerable suffering. Mm. And you've got some um, surveys here done of religious groups. So in 2007, a news poll survey found 74% of Catholic respondents and 81 of Anglican respondents uh, thought doctors should be allowed to provide, quote, a lethal dose to a patient experiencing unrelievable suffering and with no hope of recovery. Mm. That's high Correct. numbers. And they, you've, are. they are. You've got another one in 2012, uh, 77% of Catholics and 88% of Anglicans. Mm. So when, see, what, when people say, oh, religious groups are against it, you, you mm. can point to these statistics and say, well, actually the followers yeah. are in favour of it. What, what you have happening is um, some church leaders, and, and it's important to note only some because there are some church leaders um, you know that are speaking out in support, but but they're the the often the the vocal opponents are some church leaders. But the the take home message here is that the evidence from credible scientific um, you know professional polling companies suggests that those church leaders are are not, are not speaking for the overwhelming majority of their followers. Um, they're out of tune with what they're not only the, their parishioners want, but also what the general community wants as well. You know, like like they're pretty overwhelming figures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and with with any polling too. You know, it's important to note that um, it's rare to get a poll that's just a yes or no. You know, often there's an undecided as mm-hmm. well. So when you take out the undecideds. The level of opposition is is even more shrunk. Yes. Um, yep. So yeah, they're they're pretty overwhelming figures, and the thing is, they've been consistent in you know many many polls over time. There haven't been that many I, that I'm aware of polls that is conducted specifically where they've asked the the question of religion. There've been many more polls asked where they have not asked the person's religion. Yep. Um, if they have a, a, a faith or not, and if so, what what denomination? Um, but yeah, the, all the polling over, you know, well, there's polls in here, you know, beginning from 1962 um, that have shown majority support ever since 1962 for voluntary assisted dying, but that support has grown. Mm. Too from I think it was forty seven percent up to eighty five percent in the general community, and the people of faith who've said yes they they follow a faith, their level of support though it's been very, you know very very high it's been marginally lower I think what what were those figures you said before seventy something percent. Uh, uh- um, well, I'm just looking at one here that's very interesting. This one's from 2012. Dear listener, if you were listening to this podcast for the first time, um, all of what we're talking about here are, is available to read in show notes. So go to the website, Iron Fist Velvet Glove, and look up episode 191, and there are extensive notes and links, and you can look all this stuff up. But 
One of the tables you've got here is from a 2012 news poll. Um, doctor can provide lethal dose, uh, yes or no. And all of the groups are in favour. Um, Anglicans, 88%. Catholics, 77%. Other Christians, 70%. No religion, 89%. Spiritual, but no formal religion, 90%. And the good old atheists, ninety-six uh, percent in favour. <laughs> no, no, so that's an astounding figure. Ninety-six yeah. percent yeah. of atheists are in favour of voluntary assisted dying. Like, mm. If you are a politician in Queensland, and this is coming up, mm. um, there's a view to be taken. Sometimes it doesn't matter what happens with the economy. Mm. You know, politicians can't do much. But this is one where people can say you were responsible for this decision. So. It would be a brave politician yeah. who votes it's, against that, knowing that 90, 96% of atheists are not going to be happy with it. Yeah, it's a big figure. And, and, you know, even people of faith, um, mm. you know, like it's, it, you know, the, the polls are all saying this is a vote winner. It's mm. not a vote loser. Um, yeah. So, so what, just diverting from your notes, do you know... Um, have you got feelings about what's happening within the parties that you can talk about in terms uh, of... We, we do, when I say we, um, uh, Dying with Dignity Queensland Committee and, and often in, we meet um, MPs and ministers mm-hmm. and shadow ministers, etc. cetera, uh, in conjunction with um, the Clem Jones group as well because we do our lobbying together often. Um, a lot of... Um, you know, there there are quite a number of um, MPs who are on the public record as either being supporters or not being supporters. Um, the, there's more on the public record as being supporters. Um, there are also quite a lot that have not declared their position. Um, what what we find when we meet with um, MPs is some MPs are not terribly well informed on the issues. So, you know, we like to sit down with them and have a conversation similar to what we're having today, a nice, respectful conversation, just putting some facts and figures and and information out there and, you know, discussing what what the interstate reports um, from their parliamentary inquiries have, have shown. And, like, you know, those suicide statistics, like, that's horrific. Mm. Um, And... Yeah, so it's it's really good to be in a position to be able to educate and inform MPs, you know, the people who yeah. will one day be voting on so, so, this so issue. So neither party, neither none of the major parties have a position on this? Uh, yes, or, yes. Or um, the Queensland ALP um, support voluntary assisted dying uh, with their MPs being given a conscience vote. The... Um, Queensland uh, LNP official um, platform on this is that they oppose voluntary assisted dying. um, Deep throat, is this the story of the lady who joined the Labor Party and this was her one topic that she wanted to get up? Yes, this is the story. Can you tell that story um, or not? uh, Phil probably knows a bit more about it with with Dr Jenny Brown. Ah. Yes, yes. So... um, um, she is on the committee. She's still the vice, um, yeah, um, vice president. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And um, she wanted to get the idea of uh, voluntary assisted dying going, and she joined the ALP and started agitating and um, uh, pushing the agenda. And um, she uh, it came up 
it, she approached the right people and got put on the agenda for the state conference. Um, I think there was a little bit of opposition to that, and so one way to get get round the opposition uh, was uh, from the, from those opposing it was to um, put the item at the end of the agenda at the back at the end of the agenda, so that often in these um, conferences that they don't get to that topic. Yep. Um, and so they, they thought they'd been craftily doing this, the, the, those opposing it in the Labor Party. And um, lo and behold, they went through the agenda really quick, got to it, and uh, <laughs> and of course the, uh, she'd been doing all the work in the grassroots and that, and, um, and there was a lot of grassroots support, as we can see in the community, and the Labor yep. Party is just part of the community. Um, so, it went to the vote and got got so, up. So it was sheer luck that the agenda just they just rattled through it and they got to the item right at the end of the agenda. Exactly. And got up. And, and I think no one was more surprised than Dr. Jenny Brown. <laughs> right. This dear listener is an example of somebody who's decided to get something done and and did it. Like uh, one person can make a difference. That's right. Exactly. Um, and got it on the Labor Party agenda. I mean, and yeah. So. Oh, dear listener, if, if, I suspect there's lots of new listeners to this podcast. I'm hoping there is. So I won't go on my normal rants that I would. I'm just going to be quite conservative. I'd, I'd so, like yeah. to just make a point adding on to what you said. You said about one person making a difference. I would say there are oh, who knows how many um, people within Queensland, but, but it's, it's also important to note that with people having their say, which technically is called writing a submission to this inquiry, you don't have to live in Queensland to be able to do that. Anyone anywhere in the world can send in a submission and say, yes, Queensland should um, legalise voluntary assisted dying and I believe this because blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, but um, I forgot where I was going with that now. Oh, yes, no. Uh, um, so in, in a situation like this where there's an, a public inquiry, we need numbers um, of people. So... You know, one person may, may well have made a difference there, but in this situation with the inquiry, where um, you yeah. know we want to make sure the the report from this inquiry recommends that Queensland um, Parliament should um, or the Queensland government should introduce a voluntary assisted dying bill. Yep. So if we get thousands of people writing in, just shooting off an email, or if you don't have a computer, a postal letter. The power of those numbers, you know, with their, their their personal stories about why this is important to them, why they want this to become law, if they've had the personal lived experience with a, yep. a, a family Phil, member. I'm going to stop you there because sure. we're going to do it in order. I'm okay. That's you gave All right. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to give a little bit more background. Scott's sure. uh, wanting to say no, something. No. I was just going to chime in on what Phil was saying, so I'll wait. Okay, good. I'll wait. <laughs> All right. Um, so I just wanted to finish off on religion. So we had um, the um, large numbers of followers who actually support uh, voluntary assisted dying, and then you've given us some links and some data on just general public who are yeah, obviously in, in favour of assisted dying. So I think we can just say that there are plenty of notes to different news polls and other polls Reach tell, and they're just overwhelmingly uh, in favour of. Can I just add something? Uh, yeah. Sure. In the realm of the religion side of things, um, something I've noticed, and it's it's clear at going with dignity meetings that the demographic that turns up tends to be older, and it's not just that they're getting closer to um, you know their their own the end of their own life, um, 
but it's also that they've been um, caring for others who have been in the same situation. But getting back to the religion, I noticed that, um, is it Archbishop T- Bishop um, Tutu? Desmond Tutu. Tutu. Yeah, yeah, he's changed his mind on um, mm. on dying, dying uh, voluntary assisted dying, um, which is something big for someone of that statue. And also the... Um, a previous uh, Archbishop of Canterbury has also changed his mind. Yep. And so the same fact that that happens in the general population, that younger people don't tend to think about these things and older people do, is happening also in those of religion. So, yes, it's the um, uh, yeah, Lord Kerry, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm. Yeah, and, the previous uh, world head of the Anglican Church. Anglican yeah. Church. So they're two big figures and and... I hate to say it, but I reckon it's just that they've got older and it's, it's mm. focused their minds. So mm. the same things affecting the general population are affecting the, um, yeah. the, the religious people as yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm just looking at some statistics here of strongly supporting voluntary assisted dying and in the 18 to 34%, it's 58. Sorry, in the 18 to 34 age group, it's 58%. In the 35 to 50 age group, it's 55%. In the 51 to 65-year age group, it's 61%. And am I getting this wrong, Phil? Um, Yeah. Can I just clarify? um, You're only reading out Ah. those strongly in support. There's also another column just beneath that, support. So you should be adding up Okay. Let me me start that again. Yeah. In the 18 to 34... Let's make it 70, uh, 87%. And in the 35 to 50-year-old group, it would be uh, 79%, nearly 80, actually. In the 51 to 65-year age group, it's uh, 83%. And in the 65-plus, it's uh, uh, 74. 74. It drops. Dropped down so in the 65-plus mm. age group, drops down so a little bit. So have I been called yeah. out, have I? So, well... <laughs> It's still a high figure, um, but... I'll I'll just clarify for your listeners. This is a um, ReachTel poll Mm. that was done in 2018, a Queensland-specific poll. Um, A lot of the other polling has been national, but this one was Queensland only, and um, there were 834 respondents, including people in every one of the Queensland state electorates. They've even broken it down according to what party the people vote for as mm. to whether they're in favour. And was here's a quiz for you because I know you're not looking at this. Of, <laughs> of the major political groups, Labor, LNP, Greens, One Nation and other, who do you think would be most likely to be in favour of voluntary assisted dying? Greens. Um, no. It was, in fact, One Nation. One Nation. Yeah. And Labor was next, and then other, and then Greens. I was close. And then, <laughs> and then sort of independent or undecided. Like, so that's interesting. The One Nation voters are strongly in favour of 
Basically, all got grey. Sorry, was I did that to you because it was such an obscure result that yeah, a bit unfair. It's important to note there too that. You know, some people would say, oh, LN, LNP voters, you know, right-wing voters, they won't support this. But yeah. no, that's not what the evidence shows. Actually, it's in the vicinity of around 70%. You know what? I made the same mistake. I looked at the strongly support line ah. and I didn't add up just the ordinary ah. support line. Oh, okay. And the One Nations are strong supporters. Yes, they are. And then yeah. they petered off on the support compared to the others. So if you add up the... Somebody who's not concentrating on other things can add these figures up. In fact, you, <laughs> I'll give this to you, Woz, and um, I'm going to need that page. Hang on, hang on a second. I'll give you that. I'm going to tear that off. There you go. Woz will work it out. He may have got it right at the end of the day. <laughs> so, all right. Um, now, the Dying with Dignity Queensland has got a position statement on Voluntary assisted dying. Because with all of these things, the devil is in the detail. You can say you're in so favour of voluntary assisted dying, but what does that really mean? Does the person have to be terminally ill or not? Do they have to be dying within 12 months or six months? Do they need to be mentally competent? What What are the factors that that we want in our Queensland legislation that allow the trigger for either a doctor or an individual, to administer a lethal dose. And so I was reading something for, just to put this in context, for example, in Victoria, they've passed the legislation, hasn't come into effect yet, but there was a Victorian firefighter who went overseas to Europe, I think Switzerland, to to receive a lethal injection. And uh, he did so because even though there is this legislation in Victoria, he didn't have an illness which was uh, where a doctor could certify he was going to die within 12 months. Uh, he had an incurable degenerative condition, but he couldn't comply with the 12-month criteria, and so he went over there for the procedure. So uh, the question will be... Uh, so in Victoria, for example, I believe it's six months unless you have a neurodegenerative condition. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, in which case a diagnosis of 12 months or less will yes. be sufficient. So but that's the sort of detail that we have to consider mm. for Queensland. Yeah. What yeah. what do we want here and what is... What's the position statement from Dying with Dignity Queensland? What, do you, right. what are you what, looking for? What um, Dying with Dignity Queensland uh, would like to see in future legislation is um, for an adult who is experiencing grievous and irremediable suffering related to an advanced and progressive terminal, chronic or neurodegenerative condition to legally access medical assistance to end their life should they choose to do so. Um, and we would like that uh, assistance to be either in the form of the um, person themselves self-administering a med medication that the doctor's prescribed or if the person's incapable of self-administering for the doctor to be able to administer that. Um, now, the really important thing here is that there need to be 
um, a lot of safeguards to protect vulnerable members of society. And, you know, like it's very valid that, um, you know, we have quite a lot of elderly people, um, many um, whose physical condition has deteriorated in nursing homes. We've got, you know, disabled people. They need to be protected to make sure that we've got a good law that can't be used against them inappropriately. Um, so the conditions we would like to see in place is that uh, the person must be uh, 18 years or older, must be a, a resident of Queensland, must have been assessed by two doctors to determine they fit the criteria previously mentioned. Uh, they must be mentally competent. Uh, and um, if there's any uncertainty about that, then the person must be seen by a psychiatrist and assessed by a psychiatrist. Um, they must be experiencing grievous and irremediable suffering related to, um, as I've said before, uh, advanced progressive terminal chronic or neurodegenerative condition that cannot be alleviated in a manner acceptable to the person. Um, that's an important point here that, you know, that their symptoms cannot be re- relieved in a condition in a in a manner that is um, acceptable to the person, but you're not wanting um, a, a twelve month time limit. By no, the looks we, of that. we we are saying you know um, it's it's very individual and symptoms can be so varied and like particularly with someone with neurodegenerative conditions like someone with motor neurone disease or MS or Parkinson's, for example, that um, you know their body has just failed them and each day and week it's failing them even more Um, they're trapped in their body you know they're very often living lives of misery and and you know having physical symptoms that are giving them a lot of um you know not only physical pain but discomfort and um you know a lot of suffering involved there so um you know as long as the person meets the criteria we would like to um see that uh, the person deems whether you know what level their their um, of tolerability their symptoms are to them. Um, we also um, would like to see that um, the the person um, is encouraged to discuss their situation and their options with their family, but they're under no obligation to do so. Um, that importantly, they must have been informed by. Um, the doctors, the two doctors of all the medical options available um, to them uh, and that they must make multiple requests. We are suggesting two requests um, and at least one of these requests must be alone with only the the person and the doctor. Is Is that after they've been assessed? As eligible, and then and then they're requesting that they receive the lethal dose. They well, they would have to be, you know, meet the other criteria to get to get this to the, stage. Yeah, yeah. 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 But um, but yeah, we're saying to avoid any possibility of them being coerced into yeah. saying, you know, that their reliability and oh look, I'll I'll take this. That they must be assessed by a doctor without anybody else in the room to pressure them and coerce them. 
Um, okay, because you've said here, must make two requests, either oral or written to their doctor. At least one of the requests should be with no other person present. Mm-hmm. And then you've said, must reconfirm their request once all conditions have been met. Well, well, that's um, tied in with the, the making two requests. Right. So they must later reconfirm that, yes, I have not changed my mind. I still want to go ahead with this. At like a third request. Is that what that is? Well, as long as there are no, as long as there are two requests in there somewhere, right, yeah. and one of them at least after all conditions have been met, and 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 one of them also importantly with nobody else in the room other right. than the person and the is, doctor. Is that consistent with Victoria? To know? be honest, I'm not sure what okay. the requirement is in Victoria regarding yep. that. And, and obviously a key one here, dear listener, is you can withdraw your request at any time. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> sounds fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, these are our recommendations mm. and the, the, the current in- parliamentary inquiry, the MPs will be looking at what other jurisdictions do, yep. what all the reports and what's been recommended, and, and they'll look at all the available evidence and determine what is the recommended pathway in Queensland that's evidence-based. Can I make a comment about the time frame that they said it's got to be six months or 12 months for a neurodegenerative condition? Um, And that's where that firefighter um, fell foul in Victoria. It's, I think, a little bit unreasonable because one thing as a doctor you get asked is, well, how long have I got, doc, you know? And, Mm. and of course, I'm sure every doctor gets this sinking feeling in their stomach because... That is an unbelievably hard answer, a question to answer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I have got it terribly wrong you know, in, in my own practice and, uh, and you feel like a dill, but it's the nature of the beast that you know, you're trying to predict the future and that's very hard to do. So that poor firefighter, he may well have been within that 12 months with his condition um, and the doctor got completely wrong. So, and, and just to give you a little bit more background too, the original idea was for 12 months across the board in Victoria. Yeah, exactly. And when it went to the higher, the, to the upper house, which is their legislative council, I think, in Victoria, um, they debated it because the, the numbers weren't, were a lot more evenly balanced than they were in the lower house. Mm. And, um, and one of the amendments was to decrease it to the six months. Now, the trouble with six months is you're getting very close to the point where why bother, you know, <laughs> yes. you can get so wrong that you might not, this legislation might not be of assistance to the person who wants to avail themselves of voluntary assisted dying. So mm. I think dying with dignity's idea of not putting that time limit on there is a very good idea be, simply for that reason, simply for that mm. reason. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen, like I'm, I'm talking to Dr. Craig here, you know, in our health practice, we've seen people take, um, you know, marked unexpected deterioration. So, yeah, I, I totally um, yeah. agree with you. It can be very hard to the, predict. The other thing the um, to comment on this would be that, too, that we as doctors tend to be optimistic we tend to sort of push the hope thing a little bit you know even if there is no hope in this situation we're just so used to giving people a bit of a positive spin on things um which helps with their anxiety and that that we're probably overestimating how long people are going to last and um and that's not going to help the cause when you've got a time a time frame in there Mm. Mm. yep um 
You've also, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, in the position statement, it says must be a resident of Queensland. Why Mm. have you put that in there? Is that? um, Uh, Well, that's um, generally common in in most other jurisdictions that have voluntary assisted dying. And there has been criticism by um, politicians of jurisdictions that do not have that clause in there. your listeners will probably be aware of the Northern Territory um, Assisted Dying Bill that was passed, I think, in the 1990s that was overturned a year later. That was one of the criticisms of their bill that, um, you know, it it was... Um, people were travelling interstate to Open to, to anyone yeah. and people were travelling interstate. Um, you know, and our legislators are passing legislation for Queensland and... I suppose theoretically, you know, legislators in another state could hold an inquiry and find, you know, the situation slightly differently and the, they might recommend, you know, different um, a different framework there perhaps. So, um, you know, we, we feel it's appropriate for Queensland legislators to make um, legislation and recommendations based on what's happening in Queensland for Queenslanders. You've also said he must be aged at least 18 years. Mm. Um, my, my nickname on this podcast is the Iron Fist, so I take a hard line with things. But <laughs> I can, rec- you know, what children don't qualify, they can suffer, too bad for them. I mean, um, I, I can recall reading a story of some children uh, who received uh, voluntary assisted dying in Belgium or somewhere, and yeah. it was clearly the case that these children were in complete agony. Yeah. And uh, the health professionals and everybody involved agreed that it was in their best interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a shame that probably to massage this through the system, you've mm-hmm. got an age limit of 18 years. But, dear listener, that's not necessarily appropriate because if you've got a kid who's 12 who's suffering some intolerable agony mm-hmm. from some... Well- I, I would say mm. if you've got a child mm. that's, you know, 17, 17 and a half, mm. you know, technically they're a minor, but, you know, it could be argued they've got the, the competency. And, and you know, let me, me stay, say too that, you know, I've, I've worked in paediatrics. I've worked with, you know, kids in their teens that are dying. I've seen them suffer. Um but you know it's it's commonplace in a lot. Oh, and I also should add too that um, you know some of our members have children with terminal illnesses, and they very much want voluntary assisted dying to be available for their children under you know provided there's other safeguards. Um, you know when they get to a, a certain stage where they are suffering intolerably, if if conventional palliative care fails them. If they're in that two to five percent window mm. that fail, mm. I, I totally get that. But um, you know, with legislation, there's um, you know there's a, a widely um, held concept in in legislation across the board of you know um, mental capacity coming with being an adult at eighteen years. So mm. we've put that in there purely to be consistent with, you know, what is happening in other um, other legislation across the board. Uh, however, yeah, I totally agree. Belgium 
and I believe it's the Netherlands, they do allow voluntary assist dying for, I, I'm not sure on the ages, it might be 16. And I haven't got maybe. for Belgium here, but oh. Um, oh, it says oh, Belgium, under 18s can access the scheme if they are deemed competent. And the Netherlands goes down to age 12. Um, 12 to 15 can access voluntary euthanasia. They call it euth- voluntary euthanasia over there. If the conditions above, which is for adults, apply and their parents and guardians consent to the decision. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say it is an issue that the um, the inquiry certainly should consider, mm. um, the whole issue of um, minors and also the issue of dementia. We've got a huge growing number of people with dementia in this country like we've got a landslide of people with dementia many of those people prior to developing their dementia would have um you know developed terminal um you know an incurable degenerative conditions that would have made them eligible to access voluntary assisted dying but the minute they are diagnosed with dementia, yeah. that's off the plate, yes. off the board. Yes. Um, you know, that's – and, you know, it's important to acknowledge many people in the community say voluntary assisted dying should be um, available for people with dementia and many of our thousand-plus members also support that view and many of them will be saying that in their submissions. Yeah. Um, you know, we igno- – our – our official position, Dying with Dignity Queensland's official position, is we acknowledge these are issues um, and we recommend that the inquiry should, um, you know, involve those issues in their considerations. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I know that if I was – I'd like to tick a box that said if I had was in some state of dementia um, and was suffering some – terminal illness, then mm. here's my advance notice. Um, give me the drug. Yeah, yeah I, c- I can understand, you know, that mm. point of view. Let's mm. talk about conscientious objection. So that's one of the other issues to come up is medical staff who will not want to participate in this um, for various reasons. So what do you say mm. about that? Oh, look, um, every um, health professional has... Well, every health professional and, and you know, the same as every citizen has a right to choose not to access voluntary assisted dying. Every health professional um, has the right to uh, have conscientious objection and say, no, I don't want to participate in this. But that right stops if they try to force that view onto their patients. Um, it's okay to have that view. It's it's totally okay, but it is totally unacceptable to force that view on your patients. And don't forget, if voluntary assisted dying becomes law, we're talking about the law of the land. So you know, it is it would be a legally available um, procedure to people who meet the criteria. Um, so you know, for a doctor to say no, I'm, I don't w- want you to access a lawful procedure, a lawful, um, you know, health procedure. That's quite astounding that a, a, a doctor could perhaps be in that situation. So your position would be if a patient, a uh, person sees their 
their doctor and says, oh, I want to make a go through the process of setting myself up for this voluntary assisted dying, if the doctor said, look, I've got a conscientious objection to that, then they would be compelled to provide a referral to another doctor who they know would yes, assist? Yes, we believe they're under the legislation should call for a mandatory requirement that that doctor must refer that patient on to someone who will help them access voluntary assisted dying, provided they meet the criteria. And also, in addition to they must refer them, that that referral to someone who will assist them must be made within 24 hours. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I think um, it's it's reasonable for the doctor to say it. I've got a, a conscientious objection to doing the procedure or going through that part of the process because let's face it, if they're objecting to it, they're not going to study up and look at the guidelines and all that stuff. They're going to stop right there. So you really don't want that person uh, administering this, this sort of procedure because they could easily stuff it up. But I agree that they have a duty of care to the patient to do the referral even if they have an objection, a conscientious objection to it, because let's face it, this is about the patient. The patient's coming to them for some professional help. It's not about the doctor having to to undergo voluntary assisted dying. Mm. They're not being forced to do anything like that. It's about the patient. So the the duty of care under the law of the land would be to to refer the patient. This is similar to the uh, abortion law that's just been passed where if a doctor doesn't want to perform an abortion, they are required to refer the patient on to somebody who they know can. Yes, yes. As again, it's not about the doctor, it's about the patient. So Mm -hmm. the doctor having an objection is not relevant to the situation. What about institutions? So a Catholic hospital or an Anglican hospital says, well, we just don't do that sort of thing at all in our hospital. What, what, what have you come across? Uh, well, I heard, again, when I, when I went to this um, lecture at QT by the law professor in Canada, she told stories of uh, patients in a religious hospital who were then wanting to access voluntary assisted dying and basically to get the paperwork done they had to sneak people into the hospital as pretend florists in order Mm. to get past security so they could get into the rooms to sign the paperwork and then these poor people had enormous difficulty in being transported into another hospital that would actually perform the uh, Mm. perform the service now i'm not sure whether that ended up being changed somehow but there was certainly an issue in Canada with uh, with religious hospitals, and let's face it, we got a lot of them, mm, heap of them, uh, yeah, yeah. Pro- possibly more than anybody. I don't know. I'm worried that we do. Where they would simply say, "Well, we're a religious hospital, and we're not offering that service. We'll take all of your government money, of course, but um, <laughs> but we're not going to uh, provide that." So, have you? Uh, come across any thoughts about that at all, either of you? Yeah. yeah um- we would support the the right to have that conscientious objection, though for, for the institution. Though, yeah, but I would I would add that would I would add a question: Would every doctor in that facility support the view? But we would Do be of the choice the, of the opinion that they must 
refer that patient within 24 hours. It would be very unfortunate for the patient because it would very likely mean they would have to be transferred out to another health facility. So is that part of your position statement, is it, or, or is um, it written anywhere? So you're I kind of okay believe, with institutions having that conscientious objection? I believe objection. It's our position. Okay. Yeah, I I, I, can I so. take a position yeah, because yeah. I'm not on the committee? So, yeah, go ahead. As an individual. <laughs> take um, a contrary one preferably. <laughs> uh, that uh, I think hospitals are things. They're not people. They're not providing the care. They're providing the facility for the care. It comes back to doctor-patient relationship here. It comes back to the people that have these rights. And I think the institution has to follow the law of the land, and um, whether they're religious or whatever. And we've seen just today you know, instances of institutions not following the law of the land and getting into strife. So I think it's clear-cut on that. It's a building. It has facilities in there, but facilities aren't, aren't people. It comes back to the people. So... I, th- I think that's how I would sidestep the problem. Uh, this is going to be the issue down the track. I can mm. see this law passing, but I can that that issue is going to be a big one. And people is- won't have choice. I mean, you're going to be in some communities where that's the only mm. hospital that's available. I, I will check with the committee, but mm. I that's my understanding. I could I could be wrong. Mm. Sure. Um, yeah. So I I probably should put that proviso in there that yeah. I I'm not a hundred percent certain of. The Dying with Dignity Queensland's official position. Yep. I would have thought that it just, if you're worried about it and you've, you know, you've got cancer and that type of thing and you want to take advantage of it, you're going to have to put, book yourself into a government hospital, aren't you? You know, if, if there's one available and. You well, know, I would imagine that there are more government hospitals oh. than there are religious hospitals. Oh, I'm not sure about uh, Brisbane. Yeah. Well, in yeah. Brisbane, there probably isn't, but, mm. yeah. you know, yeah. if you've got terminal cancer, you're going to get a. Front row seat in Royal Brisbane, I would have thought. Yeah, well, it's an issue. We were going to talk about that in future, and I will. I will run down that that Canadian case uh, and describe that to the dear listener at a at the further point. Um, I was speaking to Hugh Harris from the Rationalist today and uh, mentioned that we would be talking about this, and he said, "Oh, good. Um, answer this one for me. Wh- why is it that the AMA is against?" voluntary assisted dying and i said from previous discussions with deep throat that (laughs) the ama is not representative of doctors there's actually um a minority of doctors are members of the ama or the ones who are are certainly in the older um category tell tell us about it yes well there's a the figures somewhere between 27 and 32%. Let's call it 30%, okay? So that's not a majority. Only 30% of doctors are members of the AMA. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Isn't that be, interesting? I'm, I might be called out on that, but I'll tell you what, it's not going to be much more than that. There you go. Um, and also the demographic tends to be towards more specialists rather than general practitioners yep. um, and probably older um, specialists as well. So. Yeah, so there we go. So you, you, if, if that's representative, fine, but I don't call it representative. Given the high proportion of, I mean, actually coming back to the statistics, you know, we were talking about in the general population figures of like 80% in favour of voluntary assisted dying. Why would older medical professionals be so contrary to that? Given they've witnessed so much. Well, it's the same thought- with palliative care specialists too who are negative 
towards voluntary assisted dying. And you so, think that's some self-interest there? I think there's a lot of self-interest there. <laughs> so people in the palliative care industry who's who earn a dollar from looking after people, um, potentially their self-interest is such that they... I can't say outright that that's what's going on, but yeah. I tell you what, you know, it, you couldn't escape the fact that it looks like that. If it's not, it does look like that and they've, they need to address that. Yeah. But, you know, considering I don't think a majority of people that are eligible would take advantage of voluntary assisted dying. Mm, good you know, point. It, Very it, valid point. You've got only a minority of people who would be eligible would take advantage of it. Mm. I can't see that that would be a major fall in their revenue, would it? You wouldn't have th- thought so, but mm. it, cons- uh, it seems to be the only explanation. Yeah. Um, in I think get, I forget get, which jurisdiction it was, but um, there was a similar problem there. But once voluntary assisted dying became the law of the land, and the and the palliative care specialists and other doctors around them got the feel for it and how it worked and all that, then suddenly it wasn't such a big problem anymore. So um, right. yeah, so it can be that too. Yeah. What What's of interest too is that when the um, Victorian law was passed, um, that also involved a boost of $60 million spending on Victorian palliative care services. Yep. So that facilitated the expansion of palliative care mm. in Victoria. And I believe on figures that um, you're going to see most people go down the palliative care um, route, as it were, rather than voluntary assisted dying. So mm. I think it's always going to be in a minority numbers, mm. but that's not the point, is it? It's, and, about, and it's about choice. Yeah, and I, I would suggest there would be a lot of people who would go down palliative care pathway and say, I will only access voluntary assisted dying if palliative care stops working for me. And then at that point, if if their palliative care is ineffective at some point in time, then they'll make a decision, do I want to access um, voluntary assisted dying? And if that palliative care is that world's best practice, then you're going to see something less than 5% um, need to avail themselves of voluntary assisted dying. Uh, In the notes you've given us, Phil, uh, there was a survey of Australian doctors question would you be willing to assist in a patient's suicide if they were terminally ill and facing intolerable pain slash suffering um so that's not really a question of are you in favor of voluntary assisted dying legislation but whether you as a doctor would be prepared to assist um anyway the yes was 49 percent the no was 36 and there was a mixture of don't knows and others so that's from one survey that you've Mm. There's a link in the show notes for that. So we better move on to the um, Queensland Parliamentary Inquiry. So there's a media release, there's a media report, there's a website. I've got links in the show notes, dear listener. You can click on them and have a look around. But there's an issues paper where, well, actually, uh, there's an inquiry that's dealing with a number of Issues. Yeah. So voluntary assisted dying is just part of many things that they are dealing with. So when you're looking at it, the issues related to voluntary assisted dying are issues 25 through to 38 and basically asking, should it be allowed, should the person be over 18? What features should there be in the legislation? If you're a health practitioner, what would you do? 
you know, what's your story, blah, blah, blah. So they're calling for submissions and we've got until, what date, Phil? 15th of April. 15th of April 2019. And it's very important, dear listener, you don't have to be in Queensland to put in a submission. So all listeners outside of Queensland are still welcome to click on the links that we've provided and it's a simple email. It can be. There's nothing, yeah, no special yeah, forms yeah. to fill in. Write your story and send it in by email. And um, we're going to get down to what makes a good email and a good submission. Bear in mind, dear listener, that the forces opposing this um, legislation are largely going to be religious. And there are preachers and imams and rabbis and what not, in pulpits telling their flock to write in and and write against this proposal. And those people are super organised and we only have to look at the marriage equality debate to see the thousands of letters that come in from the religious groups. And abortion too. And it needs to be balanced by you because if you're listening to this podcast, you, you know what we're talking about. So... <laughs> So it's one of those things where you really need to just simply sit down and write why you think uh, it should be introduced. And, Phil, one of the emphasis, uh, one of the things you emphasise is that, yeah, personal stories are great. Mm. So if you've been involved in, let's face it, probably a, a difficult story as most as many, a, a hor- many as many difficult, horrible stories are mm. probably the things that are going to influence our politicians Absolutely. where they're going to go, gosh, yeah. that's, Bec- that's sad and I don't want that to happen. Yeah. And uh, Because, you know, some MPs, when you talk to them, they, they don't really understand why this is a big issue. Well, yeah. you know, why do we have to have this? Well, what does it matter if it, it doesn't? But when you actually tell your personal story of what you've seen and the suffering mm. that you've seen and it's just gone on and on and you tell them the impact that had, mm. they you see a light bulb switch on in them and they finally get it. They, they a personal story allows our lawmakers to finally understand why this is important to people. And once they understand why it's important, then they are more likely to come on side and say, yes, look, we need to get this done. Yeah. Um, So human nature also being the case, really long-winded, extensive submissions you think are probably less likely to read and, and a punchy... Shortened to the point. And the first paragraph grabbing their attention immediately with your story. And and being very unambiguously clear to say I I support voluntary assisted dying for Queensland. So, uh, Scott, were you going to want to talk about your story or not or no? Um, No? Yeah, I can talk about my story. Um, I came to this when my mum passed away. Goodness me, 12 years ago, she died from lung cancer, although she never smoked, dear listener. She always wanted that one. Always, uh, She always wanted that one chimed in there that she never smoked. And uh, I saw her go down quite quickly. She lasted two years from diagnosis to death, and the final six months were bloody awful. 
they really were terrible. And um, the last time I saw her alive, it was on a Tuesday morning. I'd taken the day off work and I went up to see her. And I left the hospital ward and that sort of stuff. And um, she said to me as I left, she said, now drive safely. And that really hit home for me because that was something she always said. She always said, you know, as a mum, you always always make sure that you drive safely. And um, I said to my brother, I said, I'm not going to see her again. And he says, no, we're probably not. And um, she died that Friday night. I know my mother would not have wanted to take advantage of it, but I do believe that it would have given her some peace had she have known it was available. Mm. And I think that's probably what's most important is to give people the option of taking this on. If they decide that that's right for them, then they should be allowed to avail themselves of it. And I don't know, whether Nibutol, if you take that orally or whether it's injected or what have you, but you should be able to take something that's going to put you into a deep sleep and your heart will just stop. I honestly believe that is the way that you should be able to leave because the only thing we've all got in common is death. <laughs> the only between between us and the grave or us and the ovens is time. And I do believe that um, we ought to have the right to choose how we exit. Just, um, dear listener, if you don't look at the show notes, email your submission to careinquiry at parliament.qld.gov.au. Um We'll mention that again a bit later. So so your strong suggestion was a strong opening statement that paints a picture. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, you So can, we should start with our personal stories or um I would start, you know, clearly stating you support voluntary assisted dying okay. in Queensland. And then, you know, go into your personal lived experience. And you know, I'll I'll point out too, there are some people who have not seen a bad death um and you know i say that's terrific it's a shame there's not a lot more people that are in that category um you know if if you believe in voluntary assisted dying but you have not had the lived experience of of seeing someone um, go through a really bad horrific death then just write you know what your beliefs are and why you believe that you know even if you don't have that really high-impact personal story. But if you have had that lived experience with um, a relative or a friend who suffered horrifically, then, you know, put that down there. You know, make it so that, um, you know, if you were telling that story, you know, face-to-face to our lawmakers, that they would have that light bulb moment and go, oh, this has made me understand why it's important to people, mm. you know, and, and that's the beauty of those personal stories. They're really high impact. And, um, you know, I've, I've had um, an MP say to me that, and not on this issue but on other issues, um, that they never understood it until they had a conversation with one particular person who told their personal story and all of a sudden they just went, I get it, I know what they're, what." People are pushing this for, for this for now, you know. Uh, you, whereas before, they've never ever got it. Yeah, you you were willing for people to contact you for assistance. Is is that? Is um, that, is that I, I put that offer yeah. out. I'm the Harvey Bay coordinator yeah, right. for dying with yeah. Dignity Queensland. Yeah. Um, I can't really do that for everyone, yes. but yeah. dying with Dignity Queensland is 
making that offer available to to anyone that does need assistance. If they go to the Dying With Dignity Queensland website, there's an email address and also a phone number. Um, They could email or ring and just say, look, I just want to have a chat about how to make a submission or I just want to make sure that, you know, what I'm thinking in putting in a submission is on the right track. Yeah. Are you going to have templates for people to read or not? No, because um, the opponents generally do that. They have a pro forma letter and they'll, you know, the MPs will get thousands of copies of, you know. The freedom, uh, the religious freedom inquiry um, sort of categorised their submissions and basically were able to say, well, we had 1,000 submissions of this category exactly. one and we had 2,300 mm. of category two yeah. and so they were clearly people who were yeah. following a template and, and the impact is mm. is way less. And, you know, you can have ten really highly um, Im- high-impact personal stories that are far more powerful and carry far more weight than a 1,000 of those generic mm bland, meaningless letters that effectively just say, I don't believe in this, so don't do it. Mm. It's against my belief, so everyone else should have yeah. to conform. Mm. Um, you know, but those high-impact personal stories, um, you know, they're what really count. Mm. I, um, In preparing the notes for the show, I thought, well, I should get ready and write mine because I'm going to have to at some point. Gold so, star. So I'll, <laughs> I'll share with you my opening paragraph. Oh, thank okay, you. Thank which you. is, unfortunately, one of my lasting memories of my father is an image of him lying in a bed in John Flynn Hospital. He was gaunt and in a nappy. He had been in and out of consciousness for three days as he was slowly dehydrating to death. Occasionally, a nurse would wipe his mouth with a mouthwash swab, and he would groan. I couldn't tell if it was pain or pleasure. During one of his conscious moments, I leant over and told him he had been holding on for three days. He could not speak, but his eyes were wide in shock. Dad was a POW in Changi Prison and on the Burma Railroad. It was a defining part of his life. And it strikes me that in his last moments, he was effectively transported back to the railroad. It is shameful that our society could not offer a veteran a better alternative. There you go. Thank you, Trevor and Scott, for sharing your stories. Yes, thanks. That is, um, you know, something that's quite personal to you. But it is also, as I said, something that is very, very powerful and can change minds and votes, which is ultimately what we need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Um, so personal stories, write your email, and uh, we've got show notes and details there. We've spoken about a fair number of the issues. So the opponents are going to come up with some arguments, and I've got here some information from the Law and Religion blog and one of their contributors is a fellow Dr Alex Deegan who's a senior lecturer faculty of law Queensland University of Technology and he's saying that um, these laws should not be allowed in Queensland and um, well you know I know of this guy and he's certainly quite religious so his um, his first one is 
The Australian Medical Association has released a position statement indicating their opposition, and we've already indicated, well, they only represent 30% of doctors and there are quite specific category of them, so that doesn't carry a lot of weight. Um, Second, the World Medical Association has also resolved that euthanasia is unethical and should not be allowed. Is is that a similar... Have you heard that before? Um, Yeah, I was aware of it, yes. Right. Um, But Any similar story or...? No, well... Yes, in the way that they represent organisations, okay, and, and um, therefore they take the position of their respective countries. Um, but um, this is not a common thing around the world. Like, um, you know, I've got the list of the number of places and some of them are just several states in the United States, so we're not talking large number of places. Um, and I don't think that's relevant when you've got the population of Australia overwhelmingly saying they want it. Mm-hmm. So it's irrelevant what the World Medical Association uh, wants to do, wants to, wants to um, sure. advocate. His third argument is that Victorian oncologists wrote uh, to members of the parliament. Um, so 101 Victorian oncologists wrote. Again, that's a fair number of the palliative care, or the oncologists. Yes. A number of oncologists. That's yeah, a fair number. Hmm. So the first three are because the AMA, a world group, and oncologists wrote saying it shouldn't happen. Um, Fourth, saying that uh, despite assurances uh, that there will be safeguards, um, basically worried that there will be improper use and that children have been euthanised in other jurisdictions. Well, we've already spoken about children. Uh, Fifth, Allowing voluntary assisted dying is counterproductive to combating Australia's suicide problem. And your evidence is that, in fact, it it will assist that because a lot of suicide is occurring because people are worried that they won't be able to end their suffering and they're going early. He he needs to see the evidence in Mm. the Victorian and WA coroner's reports. Yes, That's very powerful what's been written in those reports Mm, about that. Yes. And importantly, he goes on about conscientious objection, saying that uh, individuals should have conscientious objection, which, of course, we all agree Mm. that they should, Mm. provided they refer on. But he makes a strong point that um, religion is a communal experience and that religious people gather in communities and these groups can have their own ethical framework and that essentially a religious hospital is a religious community and therefore should be able to refuse uh, procedures that are against the tenets of a religion. And um, Bullshit. So, <laughs> well. so that is going to be an argument that we need to get our powder dry on and get mm. um, uh, very clear that that's going to be unacceptable because that's going to be a pain in the ass if somebody ends up in a hospital because of an accident or an injury which you have complications and then transferring them. Like if you're going to run a hospital and accept, well, if, 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 if you're going to accept Medicare money. Yeah. Well, it's not just accepting the money. If, if you're subject to the laws of the land, we, we, we can't have laws of the land that apply only to some people and not to others. That's the fundamental issue here. So uh, once we as a community get together and pass a law, then it's it's all in, folks. So that's the the theory. 
And um, Wouldn't you think the Catholics would want to be there to administer last rites to someone that's about to die? <laughs> you, you, you would think so. Well, they'll administer the last rites and then say, go somewhere else for the actual procedure. So, so, you know what? If they pay enough money for the injection, the government, then they'll be up for it. Possibly. Can, can I yes. point out one thing, yep. slightly in defence of the AMA here, yes. with um, Dr Alex Deacon. He quoted from the AMA section 1.3, he conveniently left out parts of that. So mm. the, the parts he left out were um, there are some inst- some instances where it is difficult to achieve satisfactory relief of suffering. So they acknowledge that palliative care is not going to work in all cases. Um, and just going on to 1.4 then of their uh, position statement, all dying patients have the right to receive relief from pain and suffering, even where this may shorten their life. So that's going awfully close in some ways to... Okay. Um, so the full text of the AMA statement isn't yes, so bad. Yes, so that's right. right. So he's been um, cherry-picking a little bit out of that AMA statement, and that's, uh, that's mischievous at the, at, at the best. Right. Yeah. So, so, Phil, um, that's a lot of information for people to take lot. in, yeah. and they should get cracking and start writing and email their submission in. It needs... Oh, I've got some details there. You need to have your name and address... If you post it, you need to sign it sign for it, it to be yeah. valid. But yeah. obviously, if you're emailing it, you can't Just sign it. Just your name and address. Name and address yeah. to be valid. Um, you can't if, be anonymous. It's yeah. important to note if if um, they receive anonymous submissions, they won't. They'll be rejected. Mm. They won't accept them. Um, Phil, do, does that mean you can put your name in there, but then they you can ask for it to be you, withheld from the actual public? You can ask public. it to be confidential. Confidential, yes. Yeah. yes. The, yeah. the other thing you mentioned was that oh, in your notes was that as a couple, rather than a joint submission, please lodge individual yes. submissions. Yes. Yeah, because yes. then you count for two. Yeah, um, and then also send them afterwards to your local member too, just to let them know how you feel too. And if this is an issue you feel really strongly about, you may even want to send it to or your local paper for publication. Yes, or send it to us. Yeah. I mean, we would be interested in sharing stories um, that might motivate others to get behind this cause. Yeah. So mm. if you wanted it, if you had a story that you wanted to share with us for publication over the podcast airwaves we'd be happy to do that as well so there's uh, links on the website so dear listener if you have joined us for the first time because somehow you heard about the dying with dignity interview um, please consider tuning in and listening to our podcast on a regular basis we talk about news politics religion the goings-on in the world Uh, we've been doing it for nearly four years it's normally a panel of us we cover a wide variety of topics Sometimes we're a bit more casual, a bit more fun um, uh, on other ones, but it's worthwhile. Um, Craig's been one of our patrons for many years, so he <laughs> obviously finds it worthwhile still. Yes. <laughs> I, I tune in every week. <laughs> and Feel bad um, charging him this week, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, once again. And um, so, yeah, have a look at our website, look at what we're doing, and, um, and maybe consider uh, tuning in and listening and Otherwise, is there anything else anybody wanted to add? We're, we're, oh, yes, uh, the, the, the 12th man would like to. Yep. I'm a little bit curious about the, uh, the, the reasons that the religious objectors offer. I mean, do they 
you know, unambiguously say, no, we shouldn't have this available to people because, after all, death is something that is decided by some sort of, you know, supernatural power. I mean, or, or do they make excuses? Do they sort of skirt around that and say, oh, no, because people will be uh, taken advantage of by unscrupulous, you know, loved ones? I mean, what sort of justifications do they usually offer? I've got something for you. Yeah. In the notes, I didn't refer to it, but there's a group called Christians Supporting Choice for Voluntary Euthanasia, which is a group of practising Australian Christians who support legalising voluntary assisted dying. And there's some quotes here. We are Christians who believe that as a demonstration of love and compassion, those with a terminal or hopeless illness should have the option of a pain-free, peaceful and dignified death with legal voluntary assisted dying or legal voluntary euthanasia. The group says an argument often used against VAD is that God has allocated each of us a time span for life on earth and to interfere is criticised as playing God. And they say, but to be consistent, we should also refuse antibiotics, refuse surgical operations, refuse insulin, refuse dialysis, refuse (coughs) blood transfusions and so on, the group counters. The list is almost endless. Each of these are human interventions deliberately designed to alter our lifespan. Good yeah, point. Why train doctors at all? You know, yeah. why, not, why not leave it all in the, in the so-called lap of the gods? All right, well, we better wind up. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in and joining us. And um, we'll be back to normal programming next week. But thank you in particular, Phil, for coming in. You're a great advocate for the cause. And thank you, Deep Throat, as always. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye thank and good night to everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. No. Thanks so much. Good night. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and... When you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fizz Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you... Go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, 
and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.